had a band in high school, my first real band that actually started gigging all over the place. And mm-hmm. it was called Electric Spaghetti. And I remember we did a workup work. Yeah, it was, you know, named after the cables on the floor of your practice. And uh, we did a rehearsal gig at a house party that went killer. And then we got a big gig at the Omni nightclub in uh, Oakland, which is a big place with it. It's not there anymore. It's something else now. But it had a U-shaped balcony around the top. It's kind of like a smaller Fillmore auditorium kind of thing, mm-hmm. ballroom. And it was owned by John Nady. And he invented the Nady Wireless, which was the first real wireless unit for musicians so they could run around without a cable. I- ironic for a band called Electric Spaghetti. It was really cool. So you got to use a wireless when we play there. So we came in. It was like kind of a, like the curtain came up. Like it was kind of like our real performance. And we're playing all songs. I had written like 95% of the music. And, and I just had this feeling as I walked out on the stage, like I felt like we were playing at Madison Square Garden. Like I could just see this. Is, we're going straight to the top, man. Like not not in an egotistical way, but just like, I felt like the music was so pure. Like I felt like this is what we need to do. And then on the next song, suddenly I had no sound. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, but we are getting off the Bruce train. Um, We're getting on a starship, I guess we could say. Uh, We're going to talk a little Eddie Murray money. We're going to talk two live crew. We are definitely going to talk Kristen Chenoweth. Because I have a musician, a writer, a podcaster, Jude Gold, on the show today. Jude, welcome to the show. Oh, man. Thank you so much for having me, Jesse. Really, really cool podcast. And uh, yeah, happy to be here. And uh, you're just, you know, it's like asking a, a surfer to talk about surfboards or whatever, man. I'm just <laughs> good yeah. times. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, you're right. It is. Uh, it's, 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 I'm always thrilled and happy that uh, the amount of people that I reach out to and I go, hey, do you want to talk not just necessarily Bruce, but music in general? And almost majority of people are like, yeah. What's really interesting is um, like sportscasters or I've got had a few politicians that have joined me like you are you aren't wanting to talk about sports. So you and I talked for a few minutes before we hit record. Uh no, I just want to talk Bruce. Or I just want to talk music. So it's 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 a fun it's a fun conversation. I'll talk all of those things. Yeah, I love that stuff. You know, I used to do some gigs for the uh, Cal Bears. I went to Cal Berkeley. Yes. And then later on, about ten years after I graduated, um, the one of the coaches or the managers of the team, we we they were doing a lot of bowl games. Yeah. And we do this big party. And the coach, part of the deal was he would fly us down there and it would be every, just a killer gig or wherever we stay, killer hotel, San Diego, like rooms overlooking the bay. And, and, uh, and I think Cal won two out of those three bowl gigs that we did, which was great. Big after party. And the manager guy 
he's the biggest Bruce fan I've ever met. And then his only thing is that he gets to sing eight Bruce songs. So we play a we play a Bruce set all night. The horn section from from the uh, marching band playing Bruce lines like on Tenth Avenue Freeze Out. And, yeah. And so I always enjoyed that. And uh, got oh, that's that sounds fun. That sounds great. Well, um, Jude, uh, why don't you give us your elevator pitch? Tell us a little about yourself. <laughs> oh man, where to begin? I mean, I don't know. I just uh, I just remember. Uh, I always loved music, and then uh, my dad would play guitar sometimes for the class. He'd come to my second grade class and play like "Freight Train, Freight Train, Run So Fast," for like folk songs, a little Bob Dylan, maybe a little, a little "Why Can't a Dish Break a Hammer," you know, kid songs. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved the music, and I loved the soundtracks for my favorite movies. But then when I was like eight years old or something, I heard uh, Michael Jackson shake your body down to the ground it wasn't just michael jackson it was the production it was the quincy jones like it, it was like a lightning bolt went through me and uh ever since that moment music has just been my thing hands down you know it's, and i've just gone on to play guitar and all kinds of uh different scenarios I, I i love just about every genre of music i love to play every different style i've played in so many different bands over the years you know and uh and I record and I ended up working at Guitar Player Magazine, which is uh, where, you know, which was kind of a dream gig, gig for me because as a kid, I used to read that. And, um, and, you know, as you probably know, I play with Jefferson Starship for the last almost 10 years, touring all over the, uh, the we've, done, we've done like five continents and um, we play all the time, even now. And very lucky to be playing right now with the way the world is with live music right now. And we uh, put out a new album recently called Mother of the Sun. So um, that's the not very short version, but. <laughs> no, that's pretty succinct. I, um, I, I just, we, we, we ran into each other on Twitter and I reached out to you and I was so thrilled you had. And, um, I, you know, this is one of those things where like, I don't even know where to start, but I am going to start. You're already talking about your dad, but so I take it music was a big was big in your household growing up uh just all kinds of music or well kind of was but yeah my mom had an acoustic guitar that i still have that was my first guitar of takamini steel yeah. string martin copy and um she also played piano and still does um, my dad hasn't touched a guitar in probably decades but he used to have one when I was in high school and, his, and he had this he lived in this apartment building with the best acoustics in the in the hallway so that's probably the most practicing I ever did was like that summer of 10th grade. The acoustics were in their room were so good. I take his acoustic guitar down there and uh, people be walking up by and stepping over me, but I just couldn't leave because it sounded so good in there. So uh, that's about the extent of their music, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, my, my brother, he's a film editor, but, um, but uh, yeah, the music for me, I just uh, couldn't keep away from it. And um and I uh, even went to music school. You will, you know, UC Berkeley, as I told you, got a, a music yeah. degree over there. So, you know, I, I have a real good friend named Tom Zoller, who is a um, an artist and he's he's uh, has worked for um, several comic book companies. He, he has written My Little Pony stories and he he has yeah. done self-published and done a, a lot of works himself and 
when I talked to Tom, he's like, from the moment he picked up a color, he knew that's what he wanted to do for his life. I mean, he just, that's the only thing he's wanted to do is to draw for a living. Sounds like that necessarily may not be you, but something about that Michael Jackson song flipped a switch on you. Can, can you explain why? Can you, what about that made that change in your life? Well, the only thing, there's like two things that preceded that. Like okay. one was, I think I discovered my first roller coaster, the adrenaline rush. Yeah. Another was seeing Star Wars when I was like seven years old. The first one came out. Like there had never been a movie like that for a seven year old boy. Like it was kind of life changing. And the adrenaline rush in the, in the music too. I always love the music. John Williams score. I mean, yeah. Can't underestimate how powerful. I'm not really a fan of all the other Star Wars movies, but that one, the first one that came out, you know, it changed all of our lives as kids. And then I just got some of that same adrenaline feeling when I heard that production and I heard the energy in MJ's voice. Like he's such, so rhythmic. Yeah. And you could, it was like a, a really fast thrill. You know, I used to like skateboarding and stuff too. It was a, I was like, it was like that same feeling as, but times a hundred. And then immediately it was like, kind of like, oh, now I know what the fuss is about. Before I was like, why are adults and teenagers so into music? Like, I don't even, what's like my yeah. friend, she had, she had wanted to find the song on the radio. And I was like, let's go out and play. And like, you know, it was like a sunny day. I remember so vividly. Yeah. She's like, no, I want to, I want to cruise the dial and see if I can find this Michael Jackson song. I was like, what? To me, it was like Partridge Family or something, or like, I didn't even know what she was looking for. I thought it was going to be so cheesy. And she freaking found it like in 10 seconds. And there it was through some great speakers. So it was a transformative thing. And I still, I got that feeling a few times over the year, my first rock concert. So I like ACDC and I got that feeling again. Yeah. I had no idea the power of a concert. And um, I've only seen a few bands that I think like, compete with what bruce probably does in front of an arena or yeah. a stadium makes a small place like prince huge influence on me i love prince so i got to see him um pete townsend from the who when i saw him in the eighth grade i was 13 years old there was no jumbotrons back then this is at oakland stadium where the a's play it's like right. seventy thousand, and we're in the upper deck watching but he could fill the place with his moves the way he would jump around and do his windmill scrums, you know, with his, sure. with his right arm. Those, those were energetic moments for me. And I just feel like Bruce is one of the kings of that, even though I have yet to actually see a Bruce concert. Yeah. Now that's, that's interesting because, um, and, and I've had that a couple of times, you know, where people have, massive fans of his fans music but just never worked out a live uh gig um you was there a lot of debate in your heart like going to school you like you're like i'm gonna go to university i'm gonna study in music i mean that you know the dad of me is always like oh are you gonna make a living in that but was this something just a calling to you it's well it's interesting because my mom she wanted to be in uh, anthropology or archaeology she wanted okay. to be an archaeologist and her father my grandfather rest his soul great guy but he was like do something sensible mm -hmm. <laughs> so, 
So he never really encouraged her. So she made it a point to make sure that me and my brother were a hundred percent encouraged to do oh, that's whatever, whatever we wanted to do for, mm-hmm. you know, for better or for worse. <laughs> so there was that, but it's just funny about keeping in school. The gu- guitar ironically kept me in school and out of school at the same time, because we had this great class called classical guitar class. All you do is show up and the teacher would like practically throw a nylon string of guitar at you. Just get out of my hair. As long as you just like gave it back and didn't break it, you got an A for the semester. It must have taken that like five times. Yeah. And then you go there at lunchtime, you know, so important to like have something that kids love to do at school. Like music is such an outlet. Right. And uh, Sometimes I'd grab the guitar and then I'd be playing at lunch and we'd be jamming. And then like suddenly seventh period came around and like, I don't think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to stay here at the best stairwell, another great stairwell. This one had a window overlooking the courtyard and nobody went up there. It's covered in graffiti, the walls, and we would just jam up there. And then sometimes I'd be all by myself and I'd cut eighth eighth period. And sometimes I had a ninth period cut. (laughs) So I'm in school, but I'm actually cutting, playing guitar. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, my junior year, I did really well. And my senior year, I did pretty well. But like the first, so I kind of went to UC Berkeley to just prove to myself and to my mom that I was smart or whatever, but I'm not smart. And I still don't believe <laughs> I'm far from smart. I'm not saying that, but yeah. it was like, it was almost like a, I wanted revenge on my high school years. So I wanted to get a degree, you know, from a great university, but in retrospect, the guitar is the greatest teacher that I've had and all my musicians that I've met playing it, you know. When did you know you wanted to create music? Like, I understand going to school and, and you know, it sounds like you're playing a lot of music and learning. But when, when did you first have that idea of, well, maybe I, I, I should be involved in the creativity part of this? I mean as early as I can remember. Really? You know, I was writing songs and, uh, and um, yeah, I always writing guitar licks and if not, you know, not entire songs. And I rarely wrote whole songs, but I, have a, I probably have 3000 licks that I've written that are either half a song yeah. or whatever that I could play for you right now. If I could just call them up, you know what I mean? Like I, they're in my sure. fingers. And uh, I had a band in high school, my first real band, that actually started gigging all over the place and mm-hmm. it was called electric spaghetti. And I remember our, name. we did a workup work. Yeah. It was, you know, named after the cables on the floor of your practice right. room. And uh, we did a rehearsal gig at a house party that went killer. And then we got a big gig at the Omni nightclub in uh, Oakland, which is a big place with it. It's not there anymore. It's something else now, but it had a U shaped balcony around the top. It's kind of like a, smaller Fillmore auditorium kind of thing mm-hmm. ballroom and it was owned by John Nady and he invented the Nady wireless which was the first real wireless unit for musicians so they could run around without a cable right I- ironic for a band called electric spaghetti yes but it was kind of a big deal now everyone you can get a wireless for 50 bucks basically and by and you know but it was really cool. So you got to use a wireless when we play there. So we came in. It was like kind of a like the curtain came up. Like it was kind of like our real performance. And we're playing all songs I had written, like 95% of the music. And and I just had this feeling as I walked out on the stage, like I felt like we were playing at Madison Square Garden. Like I could just see 
this is, we're going straight to the top, man. Like not, not in an egotistical way, but just like, I felt like the music was so pure. Like I felt like this is what we need to do. And then on the next song, suddenly I had no sound and we were freaking out. We are so young. We're just kids. I'm like 17 and we don't know how to, took us a while to diagnose the problem and it was I had not plugged in one of the cables it was totally my fault I hadn't plugged in it wasn't the wireless's fault and I, I just like kind of ever since that moment like it's been a lot of hard work yeah I sort of got a fact one cable had stayed in there I could have just ridden that feeling all the way <laughs> but the life doesn't work like that you know you, you get no. that inspiration but then something else has to keep you going through all those trials and tribulations yeah. something something's true i mean i've just always just been very thankful and i wish for everyone else too that they everyone can have something they truly love and i love even if i'm sitting on my couch if i get into the zone i'm just as happy doing that as any other gig you know playing guitar talking about you know sitting here yeah i get in that zone and i start writing so that's what i've been doing all this time i'm still just that that eighth grader who's just rocking out and annoying other people in the house (laughs) that's funny that's great did you talk to me through like it sounds like very early you're performing quote-unquote professionally so you get your degree what what where where's the next step in your career and path tell me a little bit about that well um yeah you know in high school the band was we would just do a lot of club gigs there's a great place called there's another one place called the um, 924 Gilman in Berkeley, which is a famous punk rock kind of like club where anyone can play. It's almost like a community center for kids. It's probably literally saved hundreds of lives. I think it was a great, it's a little warehouse where you could just, you could write graffiti all over the walls. Right. You know, I mean, obviously people tend in that kind of situation, people write cool graffiti. They're not writing horrible stuff. Yeah. And you can climb up the walls and the ladders and stuff and write. And then, the, and, it, and basically as long as you could show up and do a gig. So we would play there sometimes. And, you know, Green Day played there a lot. The Green Day is probably the most famous band that came out of there, but a lot of other bands. And, um, but that was not really quite professional. And my first professional gig, I got hired by a Nigerian uh, band leader named Jeffrey Omandebu. We play like um, High Life and afro funk and i learned a lot about groove and rhythm guitar you know and, and soloing i the first gig we got paid a hundred dollars i was like oh my god I got paid to do this yeah and um i just played in a lot of bands while i was in college that's why i stayed i grew up in the berkeley oakland area and i went to cal berkeley because i wanted to get my parallel education playing in clubs and in bands at night and starting to learn how to record music and do all that stuff and, and then finally uh after i graduated i uh best thing i ever did was quit my day job and uh pretty soon after that you know i started i was teaching at the school called blue bear and then oh i'll tell you this my first real gig i was uh helping um i was helping produce a project and then the artist wanted to use this fantastic guitar player named Garth Weber. who's played with Miles Davis and all this stuff. I'm like, kind of feeling like a little nervous. Like, what are you going to need me for if you have him? But we hit it off and I learned a lot of stuff from him about playing guitar and recording guitar tracks and 
choosing stuff that kind of fits in with the vocals instead of stepping on the vocals. Really good stuff. And at this point, I think I was 26 or 27. And then he got a call to go play with Melvin Seals and JGB, which are the former members of the Jerry Garcia band. Right. Jerry had already passed. But this band, and they tour all over the country in a tour bus playing a lot of nice gigs. And he said, you know what? I'm not going on the road. Why don't you go down there and audition? So he sent me down there. And I auditioned, and there was a few different people down there. But, you know, and the guy before me was so good. I don't know his name. I was like, there's no way I'm getting it. But I, like, I went in there, and I played. And then, like, I remember a year later, I asked Melvin, why did you hire me? He's like, oh, because you were playing a solo, and it was good. But then in the middle of it, you kind of jumped a little bit. Like, I remember I kind of hopped like two inches off the ground because I must have been really into this one yeah. note or something. I was just like, so funny. Like, that, I don't know if that just stood out to him, I guess. And he gave, he gave me a shot. And I did that for like three years going around the country and playing in a, in a, that was a great band too. There's lots of big solos for everybody. So, you know, you can do your yeah. own thing. The, the, the jam band fans and the Grateful Dead fans are just the best. Right. They just are so supportive and, and uh, you can play on stage wearing sandals. It's awesome. You know, one of the things I, I you telling me the story, I thought of the the Ken Burns documentary about country music that was out a couple of years ago. And he talked about um, Western swing bands and how that they are similar to jazz quartets without yeah. you thinking it because the Western swing bands would do, would, would have solos, right? Like the same way a jazz ensemble would do it. They would do where you'd have, you know, a fiddle solo or steel guitar solo or whatever. And so similar to like a jam band, right? Like this is from the, all the way back to like that jazz roots where you're kind of jamming and going through that. I love that stuff, man. It swings so hard. And yeah, it uses a lot of the, uh, the vocabulary of bebop and, and swing jazz yeah but it's got the steel instruments and stuff yeah i i love that stuff that's great i've transcribed a bunch of that yeah what so i i, I want to talk more about some of the other people you've toured with but how did you start writing jude oh you mean like yeah journalists, yeah journalist writing yeah i think you know it's like i kind of knocked going to school for my god it took me six years to get my something like that yeah i kind of like sometimes ding it a little bit but it really was an amazing thing because i really learned a lot of the rules of music and i uh, really learned how to uh learn the laws of harm there's no laws but you know tendencies yeah. of harmony and and also how to write music and music theory and all that and uh and then of course I always love to write. Writing and playing music are very similar. They use similar muscles in the sense that if you want to get good at guitar or writing, it's a lot of time alone. Yeah. Sitting there with your guitar or your laptop or whatever, or when I was in high school, just a thousand crumpled up pieces of paper. I always loved, I I could never stand turning in an essay that seemed like it was stupid or like I didn't have it together. Like I couldn't stand that feeling. So sometimes I'd stay up all night and uh, it was just, it was terrible actually, (laughs) but I always had a passion for it. And then ironically, yeah. So the college thing really helped me, I think, because when uh, I got 
oh, so yeah, so I always loved to write. And then uh, I was going to, I was being interviewed by some little paper in like Michigan or something. And yeah. then I thought that was cool. And then I asked the person, hey, could I submit something about like writing, you know, just adventures on the road? Mm-hmm. And she said, sure. So I wrote up this whole thing. I spent like five days on it. And then I sent it in and nothing ever happened. So then I said, heck with it. I'll send it to the Relics magazine, which is like the jam band magazine. And to my surprise, they totally took it. And I started writing for them. And then, you know, then like, so that the schooling actually helped me build up some skills that I actually ended up using when Guitar Player Magazine finally needed a full-time, you know, uh, assistant editor, which I then I became an associate editor. Um, that's like a full-time gig where you're doing music and interviewing people and writing articles. I've always just loved doing it. But I'll tell you this, the difference between the guitar and the writing yeah. is the writing is really painful at first. It's just like, it's just like, but at the end, I have some of the same feeling as when I finish uh, recording a song with a guitar. But recording the song is more fun all the way through. You know, the beginning of a writing an essay or an article or an interview, that's the hellacious part when you just got this deadline staring at you. Aaron Sorkin, who talks about the that blank page, that the just getting it on there. Um, yeah. You were talking about the amount of work and solo. Um, I read a book this summer uh by the writer J. Michael Stravinsky has done Babylon 5 and Sense 8, a lot of other stuff. And he wrote a book called Becoming a Writer, Staying a Writer. And one of the most interesting chapters is he did a chapter on editing. And he, the whole chapter is actually, he would do the paragraph and then he would scratch through everything. He showed the yeah. paragraph in its beginning form and the ending form. That whole chapter was shown that, like, I want to show you how much work I put into this. And, um, you know, he gave the advice, you come in as late as you can in the story and you get out as soon as you can in the, the scenes. Like, you know, um, cool. yeah. And I, I think that's interesting because, um I, I know they've talked about, I know I've, you've probably seen the Beatle documentary, right? That's on where they show Paul playing around, you know, with the song and all of a sudden this, this classic song comes out and you're like, yeah. how, how did that happen? Um, my, yeah, yeah. yeah, my, my, my wife talks about the story that my mom came to visit. Uh, one of the first times um, we had moved to Dallas, she came to visit and um she took this big bowl that we usually put popcorn in and she, Linda said she threw flour and she threw milk and she threw butter and she threw this stuff. And all of a sudden there's this pan of biscuits and all of them are in the same size, you know, and she didn't have any dough left over. Like it's, it's magic. How did you go from there to there? And, and I think about that sometimes with creating, whether it's a, uh, you know a, an essay an article or a song right it, it's that magic yeah. as bruce says one plus one equals three it makes sense to me yeah <laughs> but yeah go ahead oh it's that uh, yeah it's exactly right it's like i yeah. mean it's not it's not quite as simple as molding the clay as they say sometimes i feel like it's like it is like archaeology sometimes or it's like a puzzle sometimes like I, i'll do this i'll you know you interview a great artist and you've got you know, 
30,000 yeah. words or something that you need to take down to 5,000 and have it flow. And you've yeah. really got to try to figure what is the story? It's like unlocking a mystery. What is the theme here? What, how does it open? What's the first sentence? What's the first thought? How do we get in here? How do we get yeah. out of here? Yeah. How, how do, do I, cap how do I capture the reader so that they will stick with it, especially in, yeah. in today's clickbait society, right? Yeah. Like, Oh, just, just give me the facts. It's going, um, was there a moment, Jude, when you're starting this journalist career where you had to pinch yourself and said, holy crap, I can't believe I'm talking to blank. That's a good question. I think, uh, a lot of them were in-person interviews, but right. this one was a phone interview. I remember it was connecting to a big publicity firm in New York. And they're like, okay, we're connecting you. Hold on. And then there was like a six second pause. I think one of them was probably in Scotland where he lives and the other was in Australia. And there they were. And I got nervous for a second. I was like, am I even going to be able to speak? Yeah. And it was Angus Young and... Malcolm Young, who left us a few years ago, the two guitarists of ACDC, which uh, are just two of the most influential guitar players in, in rock history, hard rock, at least in a, more than people know, just the way that those yeah. riffs and, and uh, those, those huge chord progressions and, and big drums. <laughs> and uh, that was a real thrill. And I got to talk to them a lot. And, uh, and I, what, didn't you say one, that was your first live show? Yeah, that was my first live show. So, uh, you know, I moved on to obviously to a lot of other different bands from them. Yeah. But that, that was, seeing them was uh, mind boggling. I remember just walking in there like, God, I hope the music is loud enough or something. <laughs> wow, was I in for a shock. I mean, I almost got killed by the crowd in the front. It was standing room only, but it was an adventure that, that changed uh, changed my life. Just the, just seeing what was possible, you know, and uh, just the emotion that that, I don't think anyone in that place felt the guitar riffs more deeply than I did. I, of course, that's just my own self-centered viewpoint, but it yeah. was just like a religious experience, the power of electric guitar and a good vocal on top of it. And a lot of people singing in unison. And um, so that was a real thrill. I had a fun time telling ACDC too, because by this point I played in the, you know, probably 36 different bands or something. And, uh, not to mention all kinds of just miscellaneous gigs, but the, yeah. before tribute bands were a real thing, my friend, we're sitting at the cafe. He's a jazz drummer who basically hates rock and roll, but he had this like, he's like, dude, we got to start a Star Wars ACDC tribute band called R2DC. <laughs> and, and the name was so good that he was into it. And it became, it was like a performance piece, almost performance art. Like we did the song, we mashed up the music. I was the musical director and mashed up all the music of ACDC and Star Wars. Like I'd put the Star Wars themes over the, like you hear like the main theme of Star Wars. What's the way, yeah. what's the one that goes? Da, 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 yeah. Da, da, and put that over back in black, the groove. And, and we had a horns players playing it. And we had like this, uh, this girl playing trombone. She had a full C-3PO costume with the trombone. It looked so cool. So anyway, I got to tell Angus and Malcolm about that. That was at the end of the call. I kind of told them they were cracking up, man. I made them laugh. They were like, man, we've heard of so many bands that, but 
ACDC tribute bands, but nothing like that one. That's awesome. So it, it was a it was a great moment, and then you know, yeah. So that was probably the one that stuck out the most in terms of feeling like adrenaline rush before they got on yeah. the phone. Do do you still? I I always think this. Do you still get nervous before a gig? It depends on the gig. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely depends. I mean, that's that's one thing that people might not always realize. Like, you know, you can see a twelve-year-old a, a kid who's been playing music, and and maybe he or she's even in a rock band and they play, and that's one thing. But then at Christmas time, the whole family's gathered around, and Grandma and right. Aunt Cindy or whoever. I just chose that name because I have an aunt named Cindy, and yeah. and or whatever, and and you're just a kid, and everyone's like. Oh, so you play the guitar. Can you play us something? Like that's like more nerve-wracking right there, probably for a, a little kid than than uh because what do you play for that situation? Then actually getting on stage and playing what they've rehearsed and practiced with a band. So so it all kind of depends on the situation, but yeah. I, I don't get too nervous, but like we I do a lot of fun stuff too, like uh, our our um our singer um Kathy Richardson for jefferson starship she does solo shows too mm-hmm. we, just, we just did a solo show in chicago on saturday night and uh and we did like a whole bunch of songs from pink floyd the wall but there's zero rehearsal you just have to kind of show up and you got to know it inside out like this is something a lot of pro musicians have to do you got to be able to show up somewhere fully ready no matter what happens you don't want any train wrecks so that can be a that would be a little more nerve wracking than a gig that you've done a lot. Uh, we were all kind of thinking about it, you know, like hope this flies. Yeah, hope we don't crash and burn on any of these tunes. You know, that is one of the things that I'm amazed with is the the idea that you know, like a few years ago, you know. Bruce and the E Street Band were doing Stump the Bands, right? Like he he's picking up signs from the crowd and, you know, they're all over YouTube. And, you know, some of them are obscure, you know, E Street Band songs and others are just songs that he played as a kid and just, you know, and, and to see them kind of talk to everyone like, okay, this is how we're going to do this. And then all of a sudden they play and you go, that seems magic for someone who is not musical like I am. You know, I, I do a little singing. I've, I've sung in the church choir when I was in a high school and stuff, but I, you know, I, I, I can't play any instruments or everything. And the idea that you can get together and just jam that way or do something is just, it really does seem magical to me. That's a lot of work, you know, learning songs with a, well, there's different situations. Like, yeah, I don't envy, you know, <laughs> little Stephen, if there's like, can you yeah. play this one song? Like he, he probably knows them all inside out. Yeah. But then there's like, like my friend, uh, Justin Derrico and, and Dory LaBelle, they play guitar on the, the voice, the TV show. Right. They often have to learn like, you know, 25 songs, you yeah. know, after, after they just did the same thing, they got to go home and it's like, that's a lot of work. That's like, you have to, they basically you're, you don't have a life until they're done filming that show for three months or whatever. Like it is brutal. So oh, I, can, different levels. I can imagine that I, the story, right. Is that when Tom Morella 
was touring with the E Street Band because little Steven was off filling Lillyheimer, right? Like a song came up and he said, oh, good. It's one I know, <laughs> you know, because most of them, he, yeah. you know, so that's great. Um, how did you end up getting with Starship? Uh, you said back in 2012. And I also want to hear how have you how have you guys been doing with COVID? So let's start with how you got there. And then I want to talk a little bit about just the trials of being in live music during this horrible time. Yeah. Wow. So, so anyhow, yeah. Um, Jefferson Starship, I was, uh, well, it's funny because the drummer of Jefferson Starship when I joined was, uh, Donnie Baldwin, Mm -hmm. great drummer. He's played with so many great bands. He plays drums on the famous song, Fooled Around and Fell in Love. Elvin okay. Bishop. Yeah. He played with 38 Special and Van Morrison and all this, but he was uh, in Jerry Garcia's band the last two or three years of his life. And then he was in that band that I joined. So I knew him and the same manager for Jefferson Starship. So then suddenly, you know, 15 years later, um, Kathy's doing a gig, a festival gig in Indiana. And she invites me. And, uh, and uh, I'm just like, because we had a, we had two shows around that show. I didn't, I was sure I'll come hang out, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I get pulled on stage by the other guitar player, Slick Aguilar, Mark Slick Aguilar. He played, played with the band for, he played, gosh, 25 years. I think he has the record for the longest tenure of a lead guitarist. Okay. And then, um, and it was cool. We jammed out and, uh, and Slick was great. He wouldn't let me off the stage. After a while, I said to just kind of sneak off basically. <laughs> Yeah, right. and uh, and then we did that again in LA a couple of years later, a year later, later in town, and Kathy invited me. But I did, I was just walking out the door, and she literally called me. She's like, "Bring a guitar, damn it!" I was like, I "Just want to chill. You're gonna make me play." Yeah, I'm not trying. I just wanted to, but it, it would turn out to be really fun. I could play with the band again, and then four days later, they said, "Hey, Slick can't make it to well, there's a tour going to Israel and Italy." And some of the states, can you hop on the, can you hop in and fill, fill his shoes? Because he, he ended up getting a complete liver transplant and he's fine now. It's like an mm-hmm. amazing, amazing thing. It took him like three years yeah. to uh, go through the whole process. He came back and definitely played a bunch of shows with us. Um, but in, in that meantime, they kind of tried me out and, uh, it just kind of stuck. And then there was another tour after that uh, three weeks later. And they said, Hey, you want to do another tour? And that was like a month in Europe going all over the place. And then we went to Japan and that was with Paul Kantner. You know, he passed away in 2016. Right. He's a rock and roll hall of famer, him and Grace Slick, you know, and, um, she's wasn't with us, although she's, you know, she's hung out with us a few times and taken us out to dinner a few times. Actually we co-wrote a song. Me oh, and how Kathy. fun. Kathy, Grace, and I, well, Grace contributed all the lyrics, and then Kathy and I wrote all the music, too, and I wrote, like, you know, the main uh-huh. music theme and stuff, but that's a side story, so, and that's how I ended up cruising around with the band, you know, and it's been, gosh, it, almost All over 10 the years, world, like, right? Pretty much, yeah, like yeah. Asia and South America and Israel and Europe, um, Canada, Mexico. Yeah. So how has COVID affected you guys? I, it sounds like you just had a gig. We, you know, I had tickets for, 
two or three shows and then COVID hit. And then like, it took two years later before, you know, I finally got to go to the gig. So talk to me about how that's affected you guys. And just, I can only imagine how weird that is. (laughs) Yeah. It has been like a time warp. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. About March 12th of 2020, we were about to go get on plane, two planes stop over and then a, like a two hour drive to a gig in upstate Wisconsin. And then Donnie, the drummer was like, guys, what are we doing? Like there's this. So we decided to pull out of that gig. And then the next day, the whole world just shut down. You know, wow. remember that day? Like it was yes. like a Friday. It was like a Friday. Yeah. Everything just, it was pretty much. And then that was a really strange experience that I'm still processing like a, a year of quietness, not yeah. playing. Um, but then June of 21, we did our first real gig. We did two gigs during, during the uh, full lockdown. Okay. And one, one of them was one of those drive-in movie, sorry, not a drive-in theater, but it was a big parking lot where they set up mm-hmm. a stage like a drive-in. And, yeah. And we played and then people flashed their lights and honked their horns. And uh, so we did one of those, a little strange, mm-hmm. you know, you'd think that a bunch of people honking horns and stuff would be really loud but it just kind of get just kind of wasn't that loud really because it's like spread out over the which is very strange yeah it sounds uh, like it you're afraid to get near anyone because they're you know kind of going outside your bubble or whatever but that was like in the summertime and then we did one show but we didn't really get started until june 21 and uh we played a private concert for the bissell vacuum cleaners animal charity okay in, in there and they have an awesome airplane hanger it was great kathy grabbed a vacuum cleaner and started vacuuming us on stage chasing us around it's always some crazy stuff happening around on, mm-hmm. on our, our shows there's there's a lot of spontaneity there's there, you know that's fine Kathy's good at, at making the room feel like a cozy environment just, just like bruce would and uh so we've been playing our asses off man we played we we have 12 shows in March coming up and, but, and we played probably like 30 shows or 40 shows Wow! from like July to December. I would say probably 30 something shows, some nice big shows with like double bills with foreigner and, and other bands, blue oyster call. And we've been, we've been really working on, there have been some shows that get canceled though because people are, hesitant sometimes well they get postponed they're all contracted shows so yeah like we're supposed to play in hawaii on saturday night but it got moved to november okay but the tickets are so damn cheap to go over there i'm going anyway oh okay good for you yeah. <laughs> i love i love hawaii it's just a quick jump from the west coast yes good. so uh, but we've been playing we got we just got a cruise ship coming up with uh Deep Purple and a bunch of other bands coming up starting February 14th. We're also playing the Flower Power Cruise. And uh, you know what's interesting? You talk about things getting postponed for years. We were so psyched that we have uh, um, uh, like a 15, 16 date arena tour supporting Deep Purple all over Europe, mm-hmm. which was for the fall of 2020. Well, it got bumped to the fall of 2021. Well, then it got bumped to this year, but it looks like it's finally going to happen. October of this year we're, we should be playing that that run of all these <laughs> enormous domes 
And uh, that one's special to me too, because one of my biggest influences and a guy that I'm proud to say I've befriended over the years after interviewing a few times and also opening a couple shows for him with my other little duo I had. Yeah. Um, Steve Morse, who's the current lead guitarist of Deep Purple. He's been that for like, I don't know, 25 years or something, but people still think he's the new guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I yeah. know the feeling. Are you the new guy if, on the band for Starship, Jefferson Starship? I definitely was for a while. Yeah. And, uh, but um, yeah, it's, it's settling in a bit now, but there's, you know, there's a, there's a great legacy. It's funny that the band didn't really have too many guitarists. It was pretty much Craig Chiquiso, who was a definite influence on me when I was young. I saw them in the eighth grade. Craig was great. Yeah. And then it was pretty much the, as far as long-term guitarists, it was, it was slick. Yeah. I guess I'm kind of the third one. Very nice. But there's also a, you know, Mickey Thomas, who was in Starship. He also has his own band called okay. Starship starring Mickey or featuring Mickey Thomas. And, uh, and he obviously has a great band too, but, you know, great guitar player, John Roth. So uh, we'll change your caps for a minute and let's talk about your podcasting. So uh, I understand you have a podcast. Talk to me a little bit about what it is. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I really like it because uh, I just really felt like it fills a niche in the guitar area, which is, I would always, okay, first of all, it's called No Guitar is Safe. And um, I started in 2015. And the inspiration really came because I would interview lots of players for Guitar Player Magazine. And sometimes they'd be really playing focused, but nonetheless, you end up with a print article where you're reading somebody's words talking about guitar. But I'd be in the room with them face to face sitting in a chair sometimes jamming with them listening to them play an incredible guitar player just playing for you yeah like Niall Rogers for example my first influence and if anyone doesn't recognize that name well he's one of the most successful producers he produced David Bowie's Let's Dance is you know he produced um all those, those hits from the when I first turned on the radio it was like Hungry Heart, Bruce Springsteen. Like when, when the, after it gave that Michael Jackson thing, it was like, oh, I'm into the radio. And I remember yeah. that was the first, first Bruce Springsteen song I remember. And then, and then there's like, we are family and all in. And there was like, oh, freak out. Yes. Which was chic. That was now, that's what made me want to play electric guitar. You know, oh, freak out. There's a lick. Yeah. I'm going to play extra loud so this guitar comes through, but it's kind of a subtle lick. Right. Yeah. And I just was, and so, but to interview him, I'm giving you this long answer, but no, it's a great, I went to his office in New York one time in like 2006 or something. And, and he's playing for me. Like, this is where people need to be in this chair that I'm sitting. The article's cool, but this is way before podcasts were really cool. And then, so 2015, I was like, man, I started listening to podcasts. Because, um, yeah, because I was always driving around. That's what you do in L.A. Especially if you come from the Bay Area and you end up, you move to L.A. And then you're driving back to the Bay. So I've been in L.A. now for 12 years. And uh, I just like, man, podcast is the perfect way to put somebody in that 
seat where you're with a great guitarist. They don't have to be world famous. I've had a lot of great guitar players like Phil Collin from Def Leppard or Ace Frehley or, or all these other, a lot of guitar players that people might know more if they're actually a guitar player, like everyone from Joe Satriani to Session Cats, uh-huh. to Lady Gaga's guitarist, Tim Stewart, like all these, you know, dozens. Put them in that chair where you can hear them actually tell you what they do, or this is the first lick I ever learned, or that, that lick came out of this lick, or the inspiration yeah. for that, or I used to always play, you know, Albert King lick. Right. Whatever they just, just put you like the way two guitar players hang out. The podcast is a perfect format for two guitar players to hang out. You can't have two athletes hang out on a podcast. They can't do anything for you. Right. You can't even really have actors. They can maybe do a little in person, a little acting or a little, but basically the guitar, I think there's hard to name a better use of a podcast because guitar players love to sit there and show you what they do and trade licks. So that was the whole goal with it. And it's all about sitting down in person, which has become a little more difficult with COVID. Yeah. But sometimes I do Zoom, but Zoom's a little difficult because you can't really jam because there's a little bit of latency. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's a really, it's just something really close to my heart. It's just, I just got to get the story down. People seem to resonate with it. Like, you know, you yeah, no, actual guitar players playing. Yeah. No guitar is safe is the name of it. That is very cool. And by the uh, way, I did, I did recently have Nile Rogers on my, my childhood hero. I had, a, I interviewed him again Yeah, and he plays everything. He shows you everything. He shows you how he came up with the chord progression to let's dance David Bowie and all the chic stuff. Oh, wow. It's, you know, it's, just, it's, yeah, it's great. I love all this stuff or, you know, yeah. My buddy from uh, Maroon 5 talking about all that. It's, it could be anything. I'll have anyone on there. The other day we had a day off in Florida. We played New Year's Eve in Florida and Sarasota. And the next day was a day off because we were playing on the, on January 2nd. Yeah. So I'm walking around St. Armand circle, which is near Lido beach outside of, I sound like an expert on the geography, but I, I was just there. Yeah. <laughs> and this kid named Gustav Viemeyer, I call him a kid cause he's 26 years old. He's just blazing on the street, playing his ass off, playing like Django Reinhardt kind of gypsy jazz mixed with other kind of stuff and mm-hmm. super energetic. And uh, I just, so I had him on the show. So that's kind of the idea. No guitar is safe. Well, you could be from Def Leppard or you could be somebody busking. If you're doing something amazing, you I want him on the show. I'll bring him to the listener. So it spans the whole gamut. No one is safe. If you're doing something, I will find you. Good for you. Absolutely. Um, I, I was, when I, we first reached out, you know, I, I looked and, and your, wikipedia page which of course is never wrong you know it's the internet it can't be wrong but it oh, says yeah. you toured with Kristen chenoweth you were played yeah. talk to me a little bit about that that's kind of fun that that seems yeah. a little different than your normal gigs well yeah i mean if, if you're a working musician like you'd be surprised how many different styles um, exactly really like the the bass player on that on all those on that mini tour that we did with Kristen like he's known for playing like rap and other bands like that yeah hard rock bands he's funniest guy in the world by the way but um so his name is Robbie Crane okay (laughs) he had me just 
I'd just be suffocating with laughter, like having dinner with him. Like it's so important to have people like that, that just make you laugh so hard. You just forget all your problems. Yeah. And, uh, so, and he can adapt. So yeah, people will adapt to, you know, we love it so much. We're chasing the, chasing the fire, you know, wherever we can get close to it. But yeah, my friend, Joel Hoekstra, very great guitar player. He plays in Whitesnake now and Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And I think he plays with Cher still. He's done a lot of stuff. Okay. You know, somebody asked him if he knew a guitar player in LA. And uh, so I get this call and it's like, hey, do you want to do a bunch of TV stuff with Kristen Chenoweth? We did like the Tonight Show, Jimmy Kimmel, the American Country Awards, and uh, which was on broadcast live. I think that was the, the most fun gig because it was a song called I Didn't. And uh, there might be a link to it on my website, which is just judegold.com. Okay. If anyone's curious. Or you can see me play a country guitar solo with Kristen Chenoweth. Like I get a little moment. It's a very cool little moment in that song where there's an actual full-on guitar solo. It's actually played by the great studio musician, Brent Mason, who's one of the greatest guitar players on the planet. But uh, he, you know, he's not on the road with her. So we're the the road band. and, And I got to have this little Brent Mason moment. (laughs) <laughs> in front of like all the cameras flying around and you know like there's uh all the celebs in the front row like watching us play and yeah that was a really cool moment somebody told me at the end like who knows about the country stuff he's like can't believe you got a solo like usually they don't give solos to just background musicians or you know yeah hired guns they usually have to be like a like a brad paisley right or Vince Gill or something to get, at yeah. least for one of the band members. So I think I got really lucky that night. That was really fun. But yeah, we you know, we did Leno and Kimmel. I got pictures sitting at the desks, you know, and oh how fun. They're pretty mellow. It's surprisingly mellow those shows, you know. Yeah. People first TV gig I ever did was playing in the local news station in San Francisco. And I was just so nervous. I find out though, it's actually pretty mellow. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's nothing going on there in between. And then you know, you just kind of play and then it's over. <laughs> and uh, I guess if you, if, if a band really messes up on, on like a late night talk show, you can just stop. And then, the, then they have to let you do it again. Then they'll yeah. edit it together later. Exactly. But there's no reason to yeah. mess up. They keep the studios really cold though. So I've heard gotta, that from other people. Yes. Which means you got to keep your guitar in there. If you're playing backstage and then you go out to play, you're getting all the strings when they go inside the cold air, this happens to your electric guitars. Yeah. They will contract and go sharp and go out of tune. By the time you're like halfway through the song. <laughs> so it's little tips like that for playing TV. That you, you learned. Know. Very nice. Jude, you've, you've um, so far, amazing career. So as you pick, um, as an, musician as a podcaster as a writer and maybe all three what what are goals you have what are things you're chasing what are what you want to do in the future um well that's pretty easy as far as the are the artistic side yeah you know i'm the world peace side i don't know how quickly i'm going to be able to help that happen right but uh, as far as uh my own personal stuff uh, i mean i definitely have a sound in my head i do like a, a lot of slap kind of guitar that i kind of developed in right. my own little, my own little take on kind of percussive guitar you know it's kind of influenced by the funk and 
disco and earth, wind and fire and stuff. That's the stuff that I really grew up on or, you know, okay. as a, and uh, I, yeah, I have certain, like you check out my video, funky town. I saw like that. that. It's very cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's like that, that's kind of an example. Like I have this sound in my head. I kind of want to do a proper album. I put out like five or six of my own solo songs on Spotify that show okay. off some of that kind of sound, you know, or I should say demonstrate that sound. And it's, you know, it's, it's something I hear in my head is so clear, but you know, it's uh, the 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. Yes, indeed. But I'm just so busy with like, you know, the other stuff, like we, you know, we're recording more Jefferson Starship right now and yeah. podcast and everything. So there's that. And I also, you know, I'd like to maybe do a long form journalism piece, like some kind of book or a, or a nonfiction book, maybe something in the guitar okay. realm or yeah. Or interview somebody and, and do their story. So those are probably the two main artistic okay. things. And then, and also okay. get Bruce Springsteen on my show. Yeah, that would be neat. I, you know, it'd actually be interesting for any of them, Neil's, or a little Steven or Bruce to talk about that. Uh, It would be interesting to hear, you know, um, their thoughts. And and I'm sure they, they're all great storytellers. So that would be really good guests. Absolutely. And and I know none of your fans would agree with me, but I think Springsteen is un, what's the word? Underrated as a guitar player. Yes. And I'm, I'm very passionate about this because I, I listen to a lot of guitar players that are incredibly accomplished in terms of being super versatile and knowing how to play jazz and knowing a million songs and knowing how to play fusion and prog and metal and anything and super fancy scale patterns. But I don't like them anymore. And, you know, Eddie Van Halen's one of my favorite guitar players and people think of him as technical. I don't think of him as technical, but he's definitely a virtuoso who does a million different things. And I was very lucky to see him several times, but I get just as much a kick out of, you know, watching Bruce or Neil Young. They kind of remind me of each other. Just like the music is pouring through them so heavily and they're just hitting like one note. Yeah. That passion. If you can get that passion to come through your guitar and that is way more important than any kind of technical prowess and making that sing you know like bruce makes the guitar sing you know prove it all night right yeah exactly and all the big bends and and neil young has that ability too to just strangle the guitar and uh make it scream and then you feel the passion like it doesn't matter if you know how if it's difficult or not like it's connecting to everybody and i love that about bruce and uh, another thing i love about him or is this totally nerdy but you know he puts sometimes he puts his amps with the cabinets pointing up yeah which is a thing i like to do a lot of people ask me about it and, and they're like but they they must obviously have never seen bruce but <laughs> you can crank up your amp but it's not like killing anybody because it's just going up into the air oh and very it interesting out like it's kind of dangerous, not dangerous, but it can create an unbalanced sound, even on a big stage. If you have the amps vertical, they're going right at you. Sometimes they go right by your belt, you know, but you're not good. They're not hitting your ears as much as they're hitting the people right in front at twice the volume of what you're hearing. Right. 
So sometimes you can get a more balanced sound by just shooting it up at the sky. And then if you, you know, then you can turn it up as loud as you want and it's not beaming anybody and it can help the front of house get a better sound. And uh, so that's interesting. So I, I always love him for that as well. That's interesting. I, um, I had a guest on a few years ago that talked about um, his first Bruce show was back um, in like the, I guess it was in the eighties, early eighties, maybe um, where it was in Germany and it's, it's a wonderful episode. Um, but he tells the story, he ends up getting into, um, the rehearsal, you know, the sound check. And he said, he's heard hungry heart more than anyone else because the band kept playing the introduction and Bruce was going from one part of the auditorium to the other to hear how it sounded. And, you know, yeah. the, the rumor had always been that he cares so much about how the sound was. And this guy says, I don't know if he does it anymore, but at that time he was, I saw him all over to make sure from the very top seat to, you know, everyone was hearing the sound correctly. I believe it, man. He's one of those energetic people. He gives yeah. it a hundred for hundred percent. He really he does. Plays, he plays those gigs that I call bladder busters. Yes. Three, three hour long. Yes. <laughs> I, I I wonder about that too, because uh, you know, like um, I, I guess you just plan. You'd be like you're like I I always like if it's going to be a really long movie, like when I go to the theater, you're like right before, like I'm using the restroom, like okay, let's drain the bladder as much as I can so that we can go. So I guess that's what the band does. Or I guess they sweat a lot, so maybe that helps. You know. <laughs> Oh man, I was interviewing this one guitar player. Yeah, and uh, he shall rename he shall remain nameless because he asked me to take it out of the interview. Okay, and, and you'll never guess which one it was because there's 150 of these interviews up there. Right. But he was saying how one show him and the other guitar players they they had like a there's a um a garbage can under the stage and they're wireless. You take a moment and go down there and like actually relieve themselves <laughs> while they're playing the song because they, you know, there's two guitar players yeah, and they're all wireless. So that's, yeah, that's, that's more than <laughs> I want to know. I've never done anything like that or had to yeah. thank God. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's but, that, that would be unique. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess, I guess, Desperate times, you know. I, I guess know. so. Desperate times. Um, Jude, what should what have I not asked you that I should have? I don't even I don't even know. Um, but you know, I would say uh, people come on out to a show. We we play all over the yeah. country. We play everywhere. We got we got Dallas coming up. So oh, really? You should come out if you want. I would. Yeah, I'd um, love that. I, I was going to ask: Are you guys heading to Dallas soon? I can't remember the date, but it's okay. maybe uh, as no sooner than March. Okay. And uh, right. I'll send it to you. And then, uh, yeah, please do. That'd and, be great. Uh, we do all that. And, you know, check out the record. There's a kind of a fun song on uh, the only live track on, on Mother of the Sun, which is yeah. the new Starship record, is a acoustic, uh, not acoustic, a solo electric piece that I'm playing. It's my own rendition of the famous Jefferson Airplane instrumental okay. it's called a it's called a 
embryonic journey. And I kind of do a, 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 you know, a special effects electric guitar version of it. Okay. Including some of the, including some of that percussive stuff. And it's kind of a fun moment. Like we, I remember we went to Japan and, and Paul Kantner wanted me to play that song and, and uh, he always loved adventurous guitar. That he loved it so much. And he had encouraged me. So it's a, the original one was only like two minutes long, played by uh, Yorma Kalkinen, who's now known for Hot Tuna, the band. Okay. But um, so I kind of stretched out, and I think Paul liked to have a good cigarette break too. So it just kind of <laughs> became a became a tradition. So uh, that's kind of a nice little moment on that record for guitar heads. It's a lot of fun. What a great opportunity for me just to like to play it. I mean, I'm so thankful any day you get to play guitar and uh yeah it's a good day so according to google uh grand funk railroad with special guest jefferson starship saturday march 12th 2022 so Is that Alice? yes cool yeah so uh i will be there my friend i, right. I am well, looking you- forward to it Call me up so I can uh, get you a t-shirt and, and some tickets and stuff. All right. I will do that. That sounds great. All right. Before I let you go, we got to ask the Mary question. So if you are a fan of Jude's and you are listening to this podcast, first off, thank you. Uh, it is greatly appreciated. Uh, Jay Armstrong is a honors English teacher, recently retired from the Philadelphia area, and he would when he was teaching, he would take his honors English class, the seniors, and they would spend two days breaking apart the song Thunder Road, looking at all the lyrics, talking about the themes, talking about the imagery Bruce uses. And then at the end of the two days, he would ask his class, does Mary get in the car? Jude, that's your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? First of all, what a great set of lyrics, right? And I I want to give a shout out to Meatloaf who we just lost. Oh, yes. I went down a rabbit hole because I remember my parents had that record and I, I, have, it, I have it now 10 feet from me because I have all, a lot of the vinyl. <laughs> I have it somewhere in here. And, uh, and I had that vinyl record and so I finally went back and was listening to it. And, uh, and those, those epic lyrics that I know that uh, he either co-wrote or wrote with Mr. Steinem. Yes. Uh, I don't know if I got the name right, but it's a, I don't, I'm not an expert on meatloaf, but it really struck me as kind of, kind of Springsteenian, like the two of them together have these epic tales of dashboard lights and, and edgy love stories. But I, I don't know, I, I, I guess, you know, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I don't, I don't think she gets in the car. Okay. I don't think she does. I think, uh, I think this guy is on a rocket ship and, and not everybody wants to to get go up there they don't really want to get in. you know there's a little bit of a crash hazard because uh he's leaving that town of losers doesn't mean she's a loser but i think he's got a trajectory that he's really i think his guitar goes with him but not mary all right great answer <laughs> i great answer i love it um, you know, about 60, 40, 60% say she gets in the car, about 40% says she doesn't. So very nice. Jude, if this she was... does get in the car, she gets on a Greyhound a couple days later and heads back home. I'll say that. <laughs> I've heard that part too. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, this has been so amazing. Thank you so much, my friend. This was a uh, great discussion. Uh, if someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? 
Well, I do the Twitter thing, Jude underscore gold. And I, I, that's the same on Instagram, which Instagram is kind of the, the funnest of the evil platform. I mean, the social media platform. No, I understand that feeling. I like Instagram, Jude underscore gold, but I'm also on Facebook and uh, okay. I have a semi up-to-date website, judegold.com. But I just thank you for having me. This, I mean, by this point, you guys are, know too much about me and are probably ready for the next guest. But No, not <laughs> at all. This has been a blast. Uh, so um, listeners, you, please stay safe. Go get vaccinated. Go get boosted. Let's all be good to each other because that's the only way we're going to get through this. Thank you, my friend Jude. Thank you, listeners. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Thanks, Jesse. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlessingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlessingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points.
FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 